This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Now, so we are started in, and actually you won't have to turn there, we started in and we have been through this um, series and these different subjects within these series that we've been talking about and we will be talking about. We've been coming out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and again you don't have to turn there, but we said, well, we just read the scripture, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then we would jump down to verse 11, I believe, and it, it says that he hath made everything beautiful in his time. So we spent a little time, and, and part of my uh, objectives included uh, reviewing and going over seasons and going over the snare of the fowler. And so we talked about that. And just to quickly review, remember this. To everything there is a season. Seasons are in God's hands. Okay? And a time for every purpose. Purpose is in God. So seasons and purpose, they're in the hands of God, not ours. But things, things we control. Things are within our control. And the thing about it is that a thing out of season hinders God's purpose. A thing done out of season hinders. It doesn't stop, but it hinders God's purpose purpose. And we looked at the snare of the fowler, and we wanted you to remember that when we talk about the snare of the fowler, you know, we came out of Psalms 91, and surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. And we saw that that is in a reference to the enemy. Okay? And as far as the enemy, he wants to overthrow us, he wants to ensnare us, and here's the snare. And I want to make sure that you put this together with things that we've already in pre- we've already or previously learned is that uh, when we talk about seasons and times um, and making sure that time that things are done in the right season, uh, what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to get a thing done out of season. He wants you to respond with a response, a thing that doesn't belong in that season. Uh, let me put it this way: He wants you to respond out of the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He wants you to respond as the world would respond and not give a response according to the will of God. That's the snare. And I'm going to tell you, this is why we're talking about this, there is nothing that takes you from zero, you know, they talk about cars, zero to 60 in five seconds. There's nothing that takes you from zero to 100 miles per hour like your family. There's nothing that gets you there faster. <laughs> There's nothing that gets you there faster than family. This is why I said, that, you know, when I, I think of that line, these are the best of times, these are the worst of times. That's exactly, that's a good way to sum up family. And again, not just the family we like to hang around. Not just the family that fits our flavor. You, you know, we talked about family. That's a special bond. Strong bond. It's a tie. And in all honesty, it's... For the most part, it's very hard to explain. It's very hard to talk about. But no one gets us revved up quicker than family does. And remember, this family is interwoven into the fabric of the total of our individual lives. And everything about us. It's interwoven. Wherever we turn, we find the influence of family. Whatever we put our hands to and how we put our hands to it, we find the influence of family. So family is interwoven into the fabric of the total of our individual lives and everything about us. And we found out that here in our families and around our families, our tendencies are very, very, very strong. And so, as the fowler, we have the enemy who watches, who observes. And certainly, the enemy is going to use the family to get you to respond out of season. And I want to remind you, we're not talking about weather. We're not talking about whether it's winter, spring, summer, fall. We're talking about seasons of your life. And here's the thing. This is why, you know, it, it was funny when we said it, but it's so true when you think about it. It's like we know what's coming, but it still revs us up. 
They do the same thing they always do, but it still revs us up. Even though we know it's coming, we find ourselves not responding properly. That's the snare. And when it comes to family, sometimes family wounds us. Sometimes we wound family. Sometimes we hurt for family because we see them not in the way that they should be. And sometimes family hurts for us because we're not where we're supposed to be. And we talked about family dynamics, but these dynamics, they evoke very strong emotions. The family and their words, their opinions, even as much as we don't want them to affect us, they affect us. And they affect us in such a heavy manner that what they say, especially when it's negative, it can linger. And it can fester. And that ends up throwing us in a place, it's possible, it can throw us in a place, in our mind, a place we don't belong in, definitely a place we don't want to stay. And so when we talk about the holiday season, we're coming upon Christmas and we're going to encounter family. Remember my goal is to prepare you. All right, because the snare of the enemy, he, he has something for you, and he knows what gets you revved up. He knows how, to, how you respond to certain things that happen in your family or certain people and how they, how they do things, and he's been watching. So in this time, not everybody, and, and not everybody's in the same boat, not everybody's just enjoying having to be around family or the thoughts of family. And so if this is you, no doubt you would like things to change. And I want you to know, Change is inevitable. Change is going to happen. But when will this season run out? And will the next season that comes, will it be the season that you've been looking out for? Remember, seasons are in the hands of God. And we talked about this. He's under no obligation to let you know the details from season to season. So that's in God. But look at this in Psalms 31. I want to remind you of this. This is such a lovely scripture. Psalm 31. So here I am. I'm in a place. I'm in a position where I'm wounded. I'm hurt. Or I'm hurting for. And because of family. And I want this season to turn. I want this season to change. But I don't know how long this is going to last. And I don't know when the next season or what kind of change the next season is going to bring. So here is our attitude, or this is the attitude we should have. Psalms 31 verse 14 says, But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. Amen. I like that. That, that, that's, That's possessive. That's personal. You're my God. Verse 15. My times are in the hands of my God. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. But do you hear this? I love this. It's saying, I'm in a position and I'm in a season. I don't want to stay here, but I have determined you're my God and my times belong in the hands of my God. I'm asking for deliverance, but my times are in your hand. And then jump down to verse 24. This is a message to us. Be of good courage. When you turn your time over into his hands, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. So turn your times over to him. How long? Well, cry out before God. But before you do, make sure you say, I'm turning it over to you, God. My times are in your hands. I do want out, but my times are in your hands. So we may want to respond in the wrong way. See, that's the flesh. Especially when, when they've hurt us and wounded us, we want to get them back. We want to turn and put them in their place. We want to prove them wrong. And at times, we may not respond when we should. I'm talking about times, seasons, and things that belong in the season. So there may be times when we want to respond in the wrong way, but on the other side, there are times when we ought to respond and we don't respond. The flesh may have us be quiet just to keep the peace when God wants you to speak out. So, here's the question that we should ask. Each and every one of us. What 
is the response God would want me to have. This is you literally turning your times over to him. Do you hear that? What response do you want me to have, God? Now, there's a response I want to give. There's a way I want to answer back. There's a time when I think I ought to be quiet, but do you say should say something? I'm turning it over to you. I'm not asking for you to make it convenient for me or go with my flow. I'm turning my times over into your hands, God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the response God would want me to have? Hallelujah. And when it seems you turn the cheek enough times already, when the things seems that you've ministered enough, you've talked to them enough, they should have changed by now. Just have confidence that God is working. And when he's through, it's going to be beautiful in his time. Now turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to start here in chapter 37. Uh, I told you, and hopefully, now I can't make assumptions that everybody is familiar with the record of Joseph. But I did prepare you that we were going to be talking about Joseph. And there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to get through all that Joseph can possibly teach us. And so we'll do what we can with the time that we have. And the first thing I want to make sure that you understand is that Joseph paints for us a model. He paints for us a model of how to deal with the challenges that are unique to family. And the first thing I want to make sure that you understand about the model that's being painted, there are too many times we look at the patriarchs as superhumans. We look at them as something above and beyond what we could ever attain to be. Now, if they wore pants in that day, I, I'll tell you, Joseph had to put his pants on one leg at a time. And we don't find, in all honesty, we're going to find that, that, hey, God gives Joseph a couple of dreams, but we don't find him visiting Joseph over and over and over again. Don't you know, sometimes all God gives us is a word. And that's all we have to hold on to. Seasons come and seasons go, and all we have is a word of God. God knows what you need. And I hear Paul saying, remove this thorn in my flesh. And then I hear God saying, you know what? You'll be all right. I've given you enough. My grace is sufficient for thee. See, we look at Joseph and the patriarchs as though there's something great, something grand, something that we cannot attain to. And they're probably looking at us and saying, but we didn't have the grace that you had. You've got the indwelling, remaining Holy Spirit with you in the ministry for a lifetime. They probably look at us as though we ought to be something as superhuman out of this world. But the point is, the Bible records their life and puts it in display for us that we might be encouraged to know somebody just like us made it. Somebody endured. Somebody kept abiding. And that lets you know you can make it. You can endure. <laughs> and when we look at Joseph, there's no way in the world you're going through what he's gone through. No way. So let's look at this in Genesis chapter 37. And if you will, I'm going to treat this almost like we're watching a TV program. Now this is a real record of Joseph's life. Let me say this just, just because I can say this right now and, and this is just in my mind. Don't you know that God is recording? Don't you know that your life is being recorded? <laughs> and, and, and so there are details that aren't even written here, but God has the details on your life. And I just say that for this sake that we never forget. We never forget there's a time of judgment that's coming. And then as much as we talked about the enemy watching, you know, God has his eyes on us as well. But to Genesis 37. This is a record of 
Joseph's life. And we're going to start in season one of Joseph. So this is season one. So we've been talking to everything. There's a season. And a time for every purpose that is under the heaven. So here we are. Season one. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger. In the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now we're getting introduced into the family dynamics of Jacob's household. We have people out working, the sons, and we have a son who tends to come back and tell on the others. (laughs) So if we can say it, remember we talked about family dynamics. When we use that term always regarding our family, there's family dynamics. I can hear the brothers now. He's always telling on us family dynamics. Now, I will say this as well. Okay, Again, as many of us being familiar with Joseph and this life, I never find God approving of his tattletelling because that's not the subject. Okay? So, so get it right. So all you brothers and sisters and one tells on the other, I'm not saying that, that your tattletelling is of God. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. Verse 3. Now, oh, here we go. More family dynamics. I'm telling you, when you... When you Recognize and understand the family dynamics. Then you look at it, the scriptures, especially in Genesis, through that lens, and you understand, oh, God's been ministering to us about this all the time. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably unto him. Do you see those dynamics going on now? Someone's always getting dad's best attention. Someone always has dad's ear. Someone is always being loved more than the others. So this is season one. So so now the, the picture's being set up. And I believe this. I really do believe this. I, I believe that. Because brothers are brothers. If you don't know about brothers, brothers are brothers. Brothers are going to disagree. Is that a nice way of saying it? They're going to disagree. But in this one thing, ten of those brothers found unity. We may tussle about a lot of stuff, but we agree on this. We hate Joseph. Verse 4 again. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and couldn't speak peacefully into him. So here at Family Dynamics, again, they never talked nice to Joseph. Wow. Again, to me, this is amazing. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob is the second youngest. Benjamin, I believe, in many regards, was a surprise. Benjamin's the youngest, so he's not included with the other ten. But these other ten, just how is it that you being one of the youngest can be so evil and treated? Talked about. When they say you can't speak peacefully to them, you stupid. See, you're always doing something ignorant. And there Joseph is. He's taking the brunt of it. Verse 5. Now here we go. Now we're going to... Let's just read. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren. And they can't speak peaceably to him, so they hated him yet the more. <laughs> you know, this seems... To me, it seems kind of funny. It's not funny to Joseph, trust me. It's not funny. Uh, but here it is. God is a witness. God knows these family dynamics. And God says, well, let me give you a dream, Joseph, because you're going to need it. And with this dream, it just adds fuel to the fire of his brothers hating him. 
And God knew that, would, uh, that was going to be their response. But here's the thing about purpose. Oh, I, I wrote this down. I want to make sure I get it. Purpose does not adjust for family dynamics. Purpose doesn't adjust for family dynamics. Because I want you to remember, because things are in our hands. So God is not necessarily orchestrating things. He's orchestrating purpose. But here's one thing you have to understand. Family dynamics can... And actually, they do impact the road to purpose. They can, and they do. Family dynamics, hey, they don't stop purpose. Purpose is like, hey, purpose goes forward. But as far as the road to purpose, it's impacted by family dynamics. Verse 6. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose. And also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Obeisance means to bow down. And I believe they recognized that as normally you bow before those in authority over you. Why do I believe that? Well, look at what they say in verse 8. And his brother said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, I want you to understand, Joseph couldn't win anyway. He could buy them a gift every day of the year, but they would hate him. <laughs> because that's who they are. Again, that's family. It just goes with family. And I, I'm, I, I no doubt think that there are times when Joseph tried to get his brothers to be on his side and to like him, but it didn't matter. And then on top of here, here, God gives them a dream. He lets the brothers know about the dream. And they're like, oh, we hate you. We just hate you. We just hate you. In fact, we hate you more because of the dream. Verse 9. And if that wasn't good enough, and he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him. Now, this, this, is, <laughs> this is something else. Here, I'm your favorite child, Daddy. But now that the sun and the moon bow down, he gets rebuked. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren, and here's a, here's a difference. They didn't just hate him, now they envied him. Which tells me a lot about dreams. They had respect for dreams. They knew they couldn't just make dreams up. They believed the hand of God must have been around here somewhere. But here's the thing that they weren't saying. I, I don't find them asking, is this really God? Hmm. Now, I, I believe that God does this for two reasons, right? I believe he does it for two reasons. Uh, one is to show them that in the end, he was God all along. Let these brothers know that his purpose was still working, even when they were acting up and acting wrong. And secondly, I believe the dream was given so that Joseph could have something to hold on to. Because God knew what was coming. Because of the family dynamics. But verse 11. And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. In other words, the father just kept it. Again, he rebukes him, but he kept it. Because the father had to think, now, you know what? I had a dream given me by God. No doubt. No doubt he'd learned enough at least to try to teach his children the ways of the Lord. So there it is. There it is. This season one of that we're looking at of the life of Joseph. Hated of his brethren. Now, here we come. I'm going to call this season number two because a change is coming. A change is coming. Not the change that Joseph was looking for. Do you hear me? 
not the change that Joseph was looking for, but there was a change. Verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Israel said to Joseph, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. <laughs> so he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Do you see what's been going on? Again, God gives us an insight. The reason why Joseph would come and bring the report is because the daddy would ask him, Bring me the report. And here Joseph is. Joseph is just being a faithful son. He is following the instructions of his father. But also here, know this about family dynamics. At least this family. Israel knows they need to be checked up on. He knows his sons. He knows these boys. And don't you know God knows them as well? See, but purpose doesn't adjust for family dynamics. Purpose is going to go forward. Verse 15. So, he goes to Shechem. And a certain man found Joseph. And behold, Joseph was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And Joseph said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, uh, They're not here. <laughs> they're departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brother and found him in Dothan. So here's the other thing about family dynamics, at least this family. The reason Joseph always brought back their evil report is because they weren't ever doing the right thing. Plain and simple. But again, this is just, I'm telling you, we all have family. This one is just on display. I know you, you bump your head against the wall and say, oh my, nobody knows. Yeah, everybody knows. Everybody has experiences like this. People just fill the role. And they stay there. So the man said, There departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. This is rough. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Think about that. His family. Having a special bond. Tied together. And they have such disdain and such envy for him that they plot to take his life. That's heavy. I'm telling you, if anybody had a reason to be downtrodden, if anybody had a reason to try to avoid interactions with family, I'm t your story doesn't doesn't compare to Joseph, and I'm not being unsympathetic to whatever your situation might be. You know, no, you know, God just knows. God just knows. That's, that's all I can say. God knows. And so at work here recently, you know, out of nowhere, uh, having a conversation with this individual, and somehow I got on this subject, and their mind went to, and they started telling me about an experience they had with a very close friend when they were young. And again, they were telling me, I hadn't thought about this since whatever, but it was God. I was being ministered to. And they were telling me how this, it was a young female, how, how, uh, how they were close, but somehow, some way, they found out that because this young female's father wasn't with the mother, the mother evil and treated her daughter. And don't you know those things stay with a person for a lifetime? Because there are no wounds that hurt. You know, no, other people can say mad things about you. You can get over it. But when it comes from your own family. See, and I want you to understand this, right? This is not God orchestrating this. This is them falling into the snare of the fowler. And what happens is, when you fall into the snare of the fowler, again, purpose is going to go forward, but somebody gets hurt. 
when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They didn't say one person. And, and again, I'm, I'm talking family dynamics because it's just so interesting. Now, it doesn't say who the ringleader is, but I have a good idea because they fill roles. And if you're familiar with Genesis and especially Jacob, he had a daughter called Dinah who visited the women in the world to see how they lived. And, well, somebody slept with her, okay? Your commentaries might say rape, but somebody slept with her, whatever that means. And a couple of brothers didn't like it, and they didn't like how Daddy was dealing with it, so they took matters into their own hand. They're hotheads. So I have no doubt in my mind who were the ringleaders of this response. But the others went along with it. Verse 19, and they said one to another, Behold, here comes the dreamer. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Oh, oh there's so much in this, so much in this. They're like, Remember, they envied him because of his dreams, because they couldn't formulate their own dreams. So they had to respect that it wasn't of them. It must have been of God. And now they're going to say, we're going to prove God wrong. The enemy got to them. They fall into the snare. And I want to say this. I really want to make sure I say this, because I don't want you to get it wrong. This is kind of one of the reasons I was kind of laughing, and you didn't know why I was laughing last time when I said this. But you're the right one, right? You, you, we always see ourselves as Joseph, but could it be that you're that hothead? See, see, you've been responding. You've been responding roughly and speaking down to somebody. Is it possible that that's you who have fallen to the snare of the enemy and you're trying to stop the purpose of God and not even know it? I know we always see ourselves as the victim. But consider your ways and examine them. Again, for them to even entertain this. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben, he's the oldest, heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Now, it's good that he says, let's not kill him, but come on, Reuben. Let's not kill him. You know, we can knock him upside the head a little bit. But let's not kill him. You know, <laughs> that ain't God either. It's not. It's remember, that's why we said sometimes we need to say something and we refrain from saying just to keep the peace. When we need to make a stand. Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into that pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So again, Reuben said, well, I can't just make a stand. So to keep the peace, I'll say, we'll just throw him in the pit. Instead of just leave the boy alone. It's not God. You should be ashamed of yourselves of thinking such a thing. How dare we entertain this? And he says, no, let's just throw him in the pit. Either way, the season is changing for Joseph. Doesn't even know it. And he's in a season already he doesn't want to stay in. He wants change to come, but here comes a change. Many of us being familiar with the record of Joseph, I want to make sure you understand this. These men aren't playing a role that God predetermined them to play. Why am I saying this? Because I'm saying it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. They made the road to the purpose of God, which was for their benefit, that much rougher. Oh, and I'm telling you, this is why Joseph is such an example. I believe if Joseph had called out to God and said, lay that sin against them, God would have. Oh, you didn't hear me, did you? Listen to this. Avoid unneeded drama. 
they could have avoided unneeded drama if they had just responded the way God wanted them to respond in this season where they didn't like Joseph. Keep your ribbon there in Genesis 37. Look at this, look at this in Psalms 81. And I'm going so slow. But I'm hoping that the Spirit of God is ministering to you right now. Look at this in Psalms 81. Psalms 81 is one of those scriptures that sticks with me, and it was a while I, I just recently thought about it. And so, you know, that, that, that fits good there. And then I, I, we just got to read it all. I, I didn't even see how it tied so closely here. But it says, verse 1, Psalm 81, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the temple, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for testimony. When he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden. See, he's talking about Joseph now. His hands were delivered from the pots. And he's talking about the deliverance that he delivered Israel Two, through Joseph. Thou cost in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah, Salah. See, in all honesty, there's going to be a record behind them that they would never have had if Joseph hadn't been the man that he was. I'm telling you, Joseph was a man that God could use who could endure such things, but yet not hold hostilities. That's the model for us. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Aren't those good words? But look at verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. God is saying, I got great plans for you. I'm going to open that mouth and I'm going to fill it. But, but, but you wouldn't hearken. You didn't respond properly. You gave the wrong response. And that wasn't the season for that response. My people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsels. Hear God in verse 13. Oh that my people had hearkened unto me. Oh, if they had only turned their times over into my hands. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. Do you hear that? God is saying if you respond properly, see, the road to purpose won't be so rough. You can avoid unneeded drama by just turning your times over to the hands of God. Hearkening unto His voice. Asking that question we said we ought to ask ourselves. What response do you want me to have here, God? You know what that means? That means I can't be quick to respond. I've got to be slow to speak. Slow to respond. Which means sometimes I might have to not say anything waiting on God to give me the direction. Sometimes I might just have to walk away when the flesh says, you better stand up and put them in their place. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. See, see purpose is going to go forward. It's going to be accomplished. But things are in your hand. And how rough the road is to purpose depends on how you put things in their season. Back to Genesis 37. Here's what happened with these brothers. These brothers had let a heart in them fester to the point that they are now in bitterness. They are in bitterness that you would actually consider doing something so vile to a family member. That's bitterness. 
Now, if anybody should have been bitter, shouldn't Joseph have been the bitter one? I did nothing wrong. You're the ones who disobey. Dad tells me to bring a report, so I got to tell the truth. If y'all would do things that were right, I wouldn't have to bring back an evil report. And then God gives me a dream, and you hate me because of the dream. Now you envy me because of the dream. Now you want to kill. If anybody should have been bitter, should have been Joseph. But he wasn't. Now, we don't have time to get more into this because I'm telling you, there, there are just so many nuggets here, so many truths, so many things that we can learn from. Now, we know, if you don't read through the end of the book, through the end of Genesis, and you'll find out what the end is. The end is the preservation of his family. He goes into the pit, okay, and he gets sold into slavery. Now, he may have been hated at home, but I don't think going into slavery is a step up. And again, he has all this opportunity for bitterness to set hold in him while his brothers are out there free, doing their things. In fact, as a matter of fact, I've got to show you this because this gets me, all right? So, let's jump down to verse... 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him, cast him to a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. Stop right there. They throw this boy in the pit. They leave him in the pit and they go have lunch. How evil. How wrong. Oh, that gets me. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Because on top of this, keep your ribbon there. Look at this in Genesis 41. On top of this, well, you may not have to keep your ribbon there. I don't know if we'll come back. But in Genesis 41, Am I in 41? I'm sorry, Genesis 42. Yeah, Genesis 42. I apologize. Genesis 42. This is when Joseph has finally come to the final season. Okay? And in this season, the purpose of God is being revealed. It's being brought to pass. And here, his brothers actually are coming to him, and they don't know that he is who he is. And it says here in verse... 21. This is them talking. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. This is years past. Verily guilty concerning our brother. They're talking about Joseph. In that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. I just want you to see that. This gives us insight into details that we don't have about when they threw him into the pit. They saw the anguish of his soul and didn't move them. They did it anyway. Tell me what you're going through is worse. If he can do it, don't tell me you can't. If he can refrain from being bitter, if he can refrain from responding out of a worldly response, you can as well. Again, we're talking about somebody who, in whom was not the Holy Spirit. What did he do? All he did was trust God. And walk in his ways. So we recognize the seasons of Joseph's life. We do. We're looking back on it and we recognize it. But at this moment, he doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is, I was at my daddy's house. I didn't like what was going on there with family then. Now my family, even with anguish in my soul, have thrown me in this pit. And he's going to get sold into slavery. He's entered into a new season. And his breakthrough has not come. That's real. You know, I'm tired of the lies, people. People, the Bible is not an emotionally good-feeling book. It, it, it can't be used just to, to, 
to work on your emotions, to get you worked up, because the reality is God is going to fulfill his purpose. And as long as man is not going to obey, there are going to be some rough roads. There are going to be some tough turns. But you know, here's the thing about it. With all this that was going on, God was working. God says, you do your thing, I'm going to work around your thing to fulfill my purpose. But you just make it rough on yourself. You make it rough on others. And you tell me he's not going to hold us accountable when we make it rough on others. And I want to make sure you understand this. Through the family, we're supposed to know God. That's God's method of him filling the earth with his glory. But if we, in the family, because we cannot refrain ourselves from falling into the snare, like a clueless bird, respond the way God doesn't want us to respond. Hinder, don't stop, the purpose. Make it rough for somebody else. You think that we're not going to be held accountable for that. So we recognize the seasons of Joseph's life, but he didn't. He had to live like we live, with very limited information. I can hear Joseph saying, how long after he gets sold into slavery? First, how long am I going to be in this pit? Then when he sold into slavery, how long am I going to be somebody's slave? See, that was season two for him. Then here comes season three. He gets out the house. Don't tell me the devil won't kick you when you're down. And he goes to jail. (laughs) He's like, really? Really? And what wrong did he do? And if anything, if he kept thinking about it, he would probably be thinking, those evil brothers of mine. Ooh, and again, what does the flesh want to do? Ooh, if I ever get a chance to get them back. Ooh, if I ever get that chance. They're going to know they dealt with the wrong young man. But that's not Joseph. We look back at what was done, and God made it beautiful in its time. The whole family was preserved, but the only way the whole family was going to be preserved is if somebody, somebody, only way the family is going to be preserved is if somebody obeyed God through all the seasons. The very self-same one who realized rejection. And we look at Joseph and we think that he did well. But that's all relative, right? Right? Because, yeah, God was with him. uh, But he was still a slave. I don't care if he was a chief slave. You got more responsibilities than all my other slaves. And we look, oh, God was with him. God prospered him. Yeah, God did prosper him, but he wasn't enjoying that. Then gets lied on. You know, did nothing wrong to get get put in the pit, sold into slavery, then does nothing wrong and gets thrown into jail. See, that's season three. And then in jail, he becomes the, the chief prisoner. Well, you're the best prisoner this prison has ever had. But you're still a prisoner. Look at this in Genesis chapter 40. Oh, boy. Genesis chapter 40. I'm telling you, this is so rich. Genesis chapter 40. Yes, God was with Joseph all, all, all along the way. I mean, Potiphar had to see, man, everything you touch just is great. The jail had it. Everything you touch is just great. So, so <laughs> here we are. He's in jail. And then here comes Pharaoh's baker. Pharaoh's butler, thrown into jail. And again, Joseph being the man that he has, the man that he is, has favor with them. They share things with him. They share their dreams with him. And here's the thing about their dreams to me. Well, let's read this. Genesis chapter 40, verse 14. So he interprets their dreams. Actually, verse 13. Well, verse 12, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse 12. And Joseph said unto him, he's talking to the butler at this time, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head 
and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And I've got to stop and laugh right there because this is God. I'm sorry, this is God. Here Joseph is. Remember, he didn't know how long he was going to be in the pit. He didn't know how long he was going to be somebody's slave. But then the seasons change. Here comes another change. He becomes a prisoner. He doesn't know how long he's going to stay in prison. But here comes these prisoners and they have dreams. And you know what God gives Joseph an interpretation of in their dreams? How long their season is going to last. That's God. That's God. He gives Joseph the interpretation of how long. And again, Joseph is starting to understand God's seasons are in your hands. You know, even though I don't know. So what do I have to do when I don't know and I know that you know? I've got to turn my times over to your hands. Verse 14, here's why I know he didn't enjoy it. But think on me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. Joseph is like, I don't want to stay here. All these people are going to read this and think I'm just doing fine, you know, I'm, I'm sitting up here and I'm walking free, doing what I want. No, I'm a prisoner. No, I was a slave. No, I was in the pit. These things aren't enjoyable to me. And so when you get out, because you're going to get out, because the times and seasons are in God's hand, think on me and get me out of here. Oh, don't you love it? Again, we go back to Psalm 31. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies. But if you don't, right now, my times are in your hands. So he didn't see this thing as enjoyable. And here's what happens after... The three days are up. Joseph, I'll, I'll call it season, was that season four now? Season four. Joseph goes from huh, hated by his brothers. Joseph goes to a slave in Potiphar's house. Joseph goes to the chief jailer. And then season four is the forgotten one. The butler gets out. And Joseph is thinking, oh, oh here we go. God is going to do something great. And then... Years pass. Well, I'll say months. I don't remember the time. It may have been a year. Full. But let me tell you, when you're in prison, a year's a long time. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in there hours, let alone a day, let alone weeks, months, and a full year. But in all that we read about Joseph, and his life is recorded for our benefit, we never see his attitude change. Even in a bad situation, here, here, here it is for you in Able Ministers, the New Covenant class, he maintained his integrity. He maintained his integrity even when things weren't bad. Even when things were very bad. Even when things went from bad to worse. And I want to make sure you understand this. This is all the enemy trying to get Joseph to respond outside of the way God wants him to respond. The only way he could have done this is if he turned his times over into the hands of God. See, some of us get put in positions we don't want to be in, and we get there, and everybody knows we don't want to be there. People we've never talked to see our attitudes. They see how we drag our feet. They see us crossing our eyes. They see us showing up late. And it's written all over our very being. But wherever Joseph went, all they saw was excellence. In places he didn't want to be. Situations he didn't want to be. Situations that were worse than the situation he was in prior. But you know what? This is what happens when you turn your times over to the hands of God. See, because God has dispensations. While we have seasons, there's a larger dispensation going on. Because God said, okay, if you've got to go in the pit, if you've got to be a slave, if you've got to be a prisoner, I'm going to prepare you. Because my purpose is going to be fulfilled through you. See, that which we despise might be 
God's preparation for his beautiful time. So here's a key point for you. Know the end. What do you mean know the end? I mean have confidence that God has a purpose at work. That's what I mean. Know the end. No, no, I'm not saying God's going to let you know all the details. What you have confidence in is that God has a purpose at work. And don't hinder purpose. Don't hinder his purpose. Now, Joseph had a glimpse through the dreams. But I guarantee you, as he went through season one, two, three, and four, he was probably wondering, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe I miss God. Maybe my brothers were right. He had the opportunity. But he, I believe he was confident in this. God had a purpose. He had no clue of the details, but he had confidence that God's purpose was at work. Mm. We're in Genesis... 40, look at Genesis 41, verse 50. Wow, this is something else. Joseph, and I want you to understand, he, he didn't forget. He didn't forget. It's not like he just had gotten amnesia and forgot what had happened to him. And so, well, let me just be this innocent, ignorant person. And I'll just go around. I don't know how I got here. No, he, he remembered how he got there. Genesis 41, verse 50. Interesting. So, so this is when Joseph has risen to power, and, and now he's been, well, it says, verse 50, And unto Joseph were born two sons, before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Why did he call the firstborn Manasseh? Because God, said he, had made me forget. All my toil... In all my father's house. Hell, he hadn't forgotten. Oh, he remembered when he was going through all this. See, I had struggles in my father's house. Keep going. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So I, I learned this. He says, I had toil in my father's house. And I went and I've been in affliction ever since. So he carries the harshness of what his brothers did and how tough his life was. He carried that with him. So Joseph had cause. He had a cause to be bitter, but he wasn't. So I'll just give this to you as we go forward because my time is running out on me. How? That's the question I want to be asking. How? Oh God, I hear you and I don't want to hinder purpose. How do I... Do, do, how do I, I, I be like Joseph in this? Like I already mentioned to you, number one, know the end. Know that he makes everything beautiful in his season. Know that his word will not return into him void. Know that he has his eye on us and he has thoughts of us to bring us to an expected end, a peace and not of evil. He knows the end. Just flow with him. That means keep your eye on purpose and don't lose sight of purpose. Even when you don't understand, even when the waters are choppy, God, I don't understand, but you make everything beautiful in your time and there's a purpose behind it. When this happens, this is is why we say we glory in tribulation. See, because tribulation is going to come. I want to let you know that right now. And when it comes, you know, don't be moved. Say, God, you're my God. And if I'm going to be here, if I've got to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave there is. If I've got to be a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner there is. If I've got to be the hated son, I'm going to be the best son there is. I mean, Joseph kept his eye so much on purpose. He was the one who said, now when I die, God eventually is going to bring to pass you entering the promise land. Take my bones. He kept his eye there. How? 
how do I refrain from bitterness and responding and getting caught up in the snare of the enemy, especially with my family? Exercise temperance. Because remember, the wrath of God does not work the righteousness. I mean, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. In other words, don't fly off the handle. Don't lose it. Keep it. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit includes, so you have that Spirit now, temperance. Keep it together. Don't fly off the handle. How? How? He said, know the end. Exercise temperance. Three, forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. Why? Because bitterness emanates from a heart that is unwilling to forgive. Forgive quickly. You see, because we have two ends of the spectrum. We have Joseph and we have his brothers. Again, which one are you going to be? So forgive quickly. Stand ready. And don't forget, you have to be forgiven yourself. Forgive even as Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Next, know the end, exercise temperance, forgive quickly, be sober. What I mean by be sober? Sobriety to us as believers means remembering who I am in Christ and what I have in Christ. In other words, know who you are. Know who you are. Mm. Your identity is now in Christ. What they say about you, they can't change the good book. They can't change the record on you. He knows you. And you're known of Him. It doesn't matter what other people think. So I need to be sober. Because I need to stay in His care. I need to be well known by Him. I want to have the record that Job has. Have thou considered my servant, whoever you are? And then determine to be a person of integrity. How do I be a person of integrity? Obey. Obey what? Obey whatever it is you have. What I mean by this, some people think, well, I don't know enough. No, no, God has given you sufficient. And to him who hath, more shall be given. But just work with what you have right now. Stay with that. I'm not a Bible scholar. All I have is what my parents told me. And they taught you in the Lord. Stay with that. In that you'll be a person of integrity. So we know that in the end, Joseph has to deal with his brothers and, and ease their pain because when daddy dies, the brother's like, uh-oh, he's going to hate us. Joseph's going to hate us. Daddy's gone now. He was the one bond that kept us together. And Joseph's like, no, nah, what you meant for evil? Yeah, you meant it for evil. But God has turned it for good. And I am not going to against, go against the purpose of God. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of, whether daddy's here or not. Now I ask this question. What would have been the story if he had not maintained his integrity in every season? What, have, what would have the story turned out to be if he had not stayed committed to God? See, God is working on something in your family. And you may not be able to comprehend. You may not have the dreams that Joseph had. But trust me, all God needs is somebody to maintain their integrity. Somebody to stay committed. Somebody to be sober. Somebody to know the end. Somebody to exercise temperance. Somebody ready to forgive quickly. And he can make that thing beautiful. And also never forget that the same ones who curse you or even treat you are the same ones, the very same ones that God wants you to minister to. And I'm out of time.
This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.